0: Would you close your eyes with me and forget about all the things of your day and pray that the Lord would wash your mind and thoughts and just bring into captivity every thought of your mind and just say, Lord, I'm here to learn from you. Lord, I'm here to grasp your word. Help me to put aside the cares of my day, the things that conflict my life, Lord. Just keep your eyes closed and just... Out of your mouth, just tell him, I love you. I worship you. Captivate my spirit, Lord. And part into me, Lord, your truth, eternal truth, speaks to the part of me that will never die. Yes, Lord. Amen, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus while you're standing I'm asking you to pray for two things a very special need uh, from a pastor and his uh, wife um, called me today and so they're from Missouri and if we would just pray for them they have a very very um, deep need and and I I don't know them but they, they watch our services every Sunday and so they called today um and and uh, shared a need with me. And then also the quick family, uh Sister Quick passed away uh today, and so we're praying for the Quick family, and the viewing is on Friday, and the funeral is on Saturday. And um, so um we're we're gonna pray for Brother Quick. Um this is this this was Mark Quick's mother. Uh and she was I think she was about 78 years old and she was in very, very poor health. And so I saw her yesterday and, and, um, or Monday. I can't remember Monday or Tuesday I saw her and, and, uh, spent a little time with Brother Quick there. So let's pray for both of those needs. There's one need you don't know the name or the situation, but it's a, it's a very difficult situation. And, and so these phone calls keep coming, um, to me and I just feel like this particular one I, I want to share. There's a real family need. A family crisis there. So, would you just pray with me for a moment, Father? We pray for the needs of families and ministry families, and I'm praying, Lord, also for the Quick family in their time of loss. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us, grant us, Lord, your your grace for every step of our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you for that, Lord. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. May be seated. I hope you have a handout and we'll, we'll try to jump into our lesson here. So those folks that are still in the foyer that can hear me, they can come in. Um, that would be great. You know, we are building a big atrium. Which gives me cause for concern. <laughs> it's bad enough with the three thousand square feet atrium that we have right now. Dear Lord, help us. We'll have we'll have three times as much, four times as much square footage for people to roam around while I'm preaching. So hopefully, people will come into the sanctuary uh, tonight. I'm starting a series in. In this particular subject i 've given you the title of the series, and um, today I was in um, in a committee meeting, uh, and we were I was invited to the committee to be in a council um, in our city in this regards uh, the massive amount of of um, difficulties we have in our county with drug culture so it seems to me that that when I left there already knowing what I was going to teach tonight it seems to me that that the world is not just morally bankrupt they really the world has no direction for life we were we're probably uh, insulated a little bit I hope um and that's not a bad thing. If you would peel back the layers of of of, of Christianity and then of Pentecostalism, you 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 would find that, that at the core of all of that is is the the basic understanding of God. It the basic understanding of God does not come from dreams or visions. It's not hereditary, it really probably should not even come in lineage or heritage, but it comes from the Scripture, the Bible. So what is the Bible for? Outside of the Bible, there is really no understanding of God. In fact, anyone who has a dream or a vision that's not congruent with the Scripture, they have a false dream or a false vision. There's a lot of people who have ideas about God or philosophies about God. But if they're not congruent or in accordance with the Scripture, backed up by the Scripture, then all of those things are for naught. They're they're really just another form of humanism and of course that culminates now into control I always love to find the root if you can find the root you can find the person right so if you find the motive you found the man and uh, your roots can they really declare who you are um I, I might dye my hair blonde probably won't but if I did the roots will stout will eventually they're going to come back gray I did see a lady with, with uh, purple and fuchsia hair, which was very interesting. And I wondered what that would look like on me. And my kids have an app on the phone where they can manipulate, you know, whatever they want. You know, you can really, you can Photoshop your age away. If you go to the root, you find everything. You find the motive, you find the individual, you find the core. So let's go to the root. And here in this root... We have to investigate the scripture itself. What is the scripture? What is it for? Well, we don't have to come up with our own definition. Paul already told Timothy what the scripture is for. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable. Everyone say profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man or individual, the person of God, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Don't bypass that because that is that is the instruction to Timothy and to every subsequent believer that would live after Timothy it is the description or the reason for the bible the scripture all of it is profitable all of it is profitable that means from the old testament to the book of revelation it's all profitable then Paul said to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom? He said, I'm charging you to do a few things. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Who who feels like a lot of times you're out of season? I didn't know this, but uh, I, I found out after I was married that, that you're not supposed to wear white shoes if you're a lady, after um, Labor Day. I don't know, I just felt like maybe you should put them away now, your white shoes. just. But if you wear them, you, you can wear them, but you're just out of season. And there are some things that are out of season, but you still have to be profitable or persistent and be instant even when you're out of season. What does out of season means? What does it mean, Rather, It means that you don't feel good. You don't feel spiritual. You don't feel powerful. You don't feel connected. You still have to be instant. Come on now, have you ever felt out of season? I'm not, I'm not connected right now, pastor. I don't feel. You still have to, be, you have to be instant. There is a moment we have to learn how to pray and get a hold of God even when we don't feel the burden for it. That's right. And then he said, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And this mirrors his earlier chapter uh, in chapter 3. I would submit a few things uh, according to the scripture as we talk about the why. I've given it to you in, in a small description so that you could, maybe later on you can peruse through this. And the scene here is set. There is a lack of integrity in the king's life, the original king, Saul. Saul is waiting for seven days for Samuel to arrive, and Samuel is late, and Saul is anxious, and he's tired of waiting, and so he takes these matters into his own hands. He puts on the ephod. He makes a sacrifice, and Samuel comes to To see this, and of course this is where we learn to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams. Everything that we would do in our Christian walk could constitute as a sacrifice. Some of those sacrifices are customs, they're traditions, and they're good. Jesus said that the Pharisees, however, had made the word of God of none effect, Mark chapter 7, verse 13, through your tradition. But the tradition held them but it wasn't what they should worship. They failed to correct the inside man, so there were times that the Lord would address them. He said that they had perfected the outward person, but they neglected the inward person. So I would say to you that obedience to God's word, this is not a denominational feature. There is no denomination according to obedience. Obedience is a biblical command. It's not subjugated or compartmentalized to age or demographic or understanding. You don't have to understand to be obedient. And it doesn't really matter what denomination you would belong to or attribute your faith to. Uh, Obedience is primary. To be obedient to the scripture is required. And this, of course, is a command even now, Acts seventeen thirty, the time to this ignorance God winked at, but now, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So we're going to put in play tonight some foundational thoughts, and I've already given you some of the clues as to the why of the Bible. It's profitable. The Bible is profitable. Now, there are many people who think things are profitable to them, a vacation, a vacation, vitamins, uh, an investment, maybe a book or an educational concept, but there is no uh, manuscript or maybe even could say avenue that is more profitable than the scripture. This is why we're, we're promoting the um, Memorization, the M90 memorization. I don't know how many are starting on that, but our family has already started on the M90 every day. I'm submitting to you to get up and read one of those scriptures and memorize it because the word needs to be in your mind and in your heart. So here are Paul's definition of the reason for the scripture. It's for doctrine. Doctrine is the bones Doctrine, it is the bones of your belief. It's the skeletal feature of the body. From the bones, the marrow of the bones, comes blood. It is what holds you up. There, many years ago, I, I used to listen to Carlton Pearson. He was a great singer, and I used to love Carlton Pearson. Until the day he did a live recording, and his live recording, he got up and said... As the recording started, let's just put aside all of our doctrinal differences and worship the Lord together. Well, that's very interesting to me. In fact, it turned me off immediately because you cannot ever put aside your doctrinal differences. Debone yourself and see what you look like. If you take out doctrine, you don't have anything to stand on. The doctrine of Jesus Christ. Even Paul would even say, I marvel, you Galatians, that you, how, how, Soon you are removed from him that called you into this gospel. And so the doctrine, the gospel, these things, um, they are the structure of the church. And in fact, what Jesus gave to his apostles became the apostolic doctrine. They did not speak of themselves. In fact, they even said to the Sanhedrin council, they said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and in prayers. This is the inception of the church. The church was birthed and born in Acts chapter 2. And, and, and when it was through, what did they do? They continued in doctrine, the apostles' doctrine. The scripture is for the doctrine. Number two it's reproof. Everyone say reproof. So there's a few definitions, but I'll give you two. To rebuke or to make proof. We'll we'll deal with the second one first. To reproof is taking like the pair of suede shoes and you want to make sure they're waterproof. You want to insulate them or protect them. So that's one of the definitions of it. The other part, of course, is to rebuke. And of course, that's a not so pleasant word in the church. We're going to get to that in a moment. Number 3 is correction to straighten the error. So there are errors. The doctrine or the I'm sorry, the Bible is profitable to straighten out our errors. Mm. Number 4, it's instruction in righteousness. Righteousness is simply doing what is right. It's the how. And I give you this definition, it's probably our working definition for tonight. How to behave honorably with integrity all right so there's a lot to that and I and I I'm not going to try to answer all of them tonight but I'll I'll give those areas attention in the next coming weeks if you're going to have a a call to integrity you have to understand these four critical profitable aspects for the scripture and if you don't have those implemented then what you have is a feel-good uh, very superficial um, relationship and you probably don't even have a relationship with with god but you probably have a relationship with the church and there's a difference between having a relationship with God and relationship with the church. Now, I've told you in time past, and I'll say this many, many times again. There's only three ways I know that you're a part of new life. Number one is that you come. Number two is that you serve. And number three is that you give. Those are the only ways I really know that you're a part of the church. Um, uh, I've knocked on a lot of doors. I've talked to a lot of people, and I've, one individual I asked, would you like to, would you like to have a Bible study? And they said, no, I'm a Catholic. And then they said, well, you know, I don't go to the Catholic Church. And I I said, well, when was the last time? Well, it's been over 10 years. I said, well, do you, do you read in the Catholic? No. Do you serve? No. Do you give? No. But I'm a Catholic. Well, you're really not a Catholic. But we have a lot of Pentecostals that act the same way. You know, they're really not involved. They're affiliated, but they're not really, really engrossed. They're not involved. They're just, they're affiliated with it. So before I uh, denounce or talk about a Catholic, this is really not about the Catholics or any other religion, but it really is about where we are in our church. And the only real way we know that someone's here involved is, is that, um, is that they're faithful. They're here and they, they serve and they give. So if the scripture is removed from us and it becomes superficial which it has in many ways, then of course we're going to see the end result of a life without doctrine, without reproof, without correction, without instruction and righteousness. So let's investigate a little bit. I have given you four paths to the uncorrected life. The first path, of course, is, is those people who are uninvolved. And we will relate this now. The easiest way to relate this is to parents to children, or fathers and mothers to children. The reason why we relate that is because Paul would say of his followers that they were children, and God would lead us as his children. So here's four paths to the uncorrected life. The first path is for there to be uninvolvement or to be uninvolved. One of the things that David did wrong was that he did not involve himself in the affairs of his children's life. And I and I give you First Corinthians 1 and 6. David, his father, had never interfered by asking him, Why do you behave as you do? And then the next little portion of scripture was talking about Amnon. He was I'm talking I'm sorry, talking about Adajai he was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. So this became a very superficial and outward approval. So as long as he looked good, there was no involvement in his behavior. Now this is not always welcomed by by a pastor or a teacher or a leader because really people don't want anyone to be involved in their lives. They would like to hide behind a keyboard and and maybe some kind of social medium or even an outward appearance than for anyone to be involved in their life. But the path to the uncorrected life is to never allow anyone to be involved in your life. In our home, um, we don't have private spaces. Now, you might have that in your home, but all of the kids' bedrooms belong to us. They don't have any secret compartments. They don't have any secret friends. All of their drawers belong to us. All of the cabinets in their, all of the closets, when they put their phone down, they don't have a password that we cannot get into. And if Tammy and I want to, and from time to time we do, we just kind of scroll through all the text messages and emails. How about that for an invasion of privacy? Privacy. I hope you're grasping something I'm telling you today. Because, because really, this I'm, I'm going to talk about this term, but there's a stiff arm, kind of a spirit. Just don't mess with me. Don't, don't mess with me. And what that leads to is an uncorrected life. This is what David did wrong with his sons. He never asked, why do you behave that way? He should have been asking, why are you doing that? And because he didn't, by the time that David was an old man, Adonijah rose up to anoint himself the king and the successor, even though God and David had never done that. What you do not deal with early on will come back to grow up and be too great to deal with when you're older. That's why I say fight every battle. Whenever parents or grandparents or anyone ask me, well, should I fight that battle? Absolutely. You fight every battle. Well, I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to spend my energy on that one. You spend your energy on all one. In fact, I would just submit to you that if you'll spend your energy in your own life fighting the little things that you think are insignificant, you won't get to the larger things. In fact, I don't even know if there are any big problems. I think there's a culmination of very small problems or things that have never been dealt with. Um, this next little portion I've given you is the interruption of the natural law. Um, Paul wrote, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If he, if he sows to the flesh, he shall of the flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, he shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So, if you're sowing to the Spirit, which I think we're doing in here right now, we're going to reap something from this. If we sow to the flesh, it is a law. But the interruption of the natural law happens when someone removes the responsibility from your life. No, you don't worry about that. I'll take care of it. And so that is the uninvolved life. It's a path to destruction. The scripture is supposed to correct us. The scripture is supposed to pierce down into our hearts. When I'm preaching, it's not because I have an ax to grind. Many people have said to me, Pastor, do you know what I was talking about? Do, 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 do you know what I was dealing with? Thank God I didn't know what you were dealing with at the time. This is the, this is the benefit and the blessing of the evangelist who gets to come up here and preach. And you don't know who they are and they don't know who you are and, and nobody knows anybody and they just preach the word and you say, oh, it was from God. But, but Pastor stands up and says something along the same line and you think, well, he just knows what's going on. He must have read my Facebook post. I can guarantee you I did not. Uh, Letter B is the unchallenged life. I also put concessions are made. You know, these concessions. This is a very interesting thing. There is a prophet named Micah. Do not mistake the prophet Micah with this Micah. This particular Micah is going to build a temple. He is going to hire the grandson of Moses, a man named Jonathan, who's also going to have... Uh, a very, uh, maybe I could say, a corrupt spirit. Micah, this Micah is not the prophet. This is another Micah. He is from Ephraim. His mother has means. She is a woman of wealth. 1,100 shekels of silver have been stolen from her. And she is going to put put a curse on whoever stole it. Because someone has taken it without permission. When, he find, when, she, when, when Micah finds out that his mother is going to put a curse. He, he tells her, well I am the one who stole it. So she'll make a concession. Instead of correcting him, she'll bless him. And she will divert the consequence from him. And because of that, he's going to feel empowered because no one challenged him. See what happens is that when we do wrong and we're unchallenged on it. It leads us to another path. It leads us to a path of an uncorrected life. And an uncorrected life is a, is a life that, that grows in odd ways. In fact it has distortions all along the way. It's, it's unchallenged. And there are concessions made. And I wrote in your handout, I believe, that the choice to divert consequences results in an abnormal view of future actions. If you think today that what you're doing really doesn't matter, then you'll continue in that behavior. Now, this sounds maybe uh, like one of those motivational speeches of changing habits, but really it's rooted in the scripture. Because we, we often have people that, especially in parenting and in families, They'll make concessions or excuses, and so worse behavior then is is conducted, and the, even in our own life. I feel safe to make some statements here tonight because our children are not in this building, but um, as a church by and large, the Christian community, and especially in, in Pentecostalism, um, drugs uh, probably meth, heroin, cocaine, marijuana those things are not as 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 prevailing in in many of our churches, but sex is the drug of the of the day sexual perversions and and not just uh, not just all sex but uh, not just little sex but all different types of sex and so what we 've we 've done is we, we have redefined what that is, and so and and so i I know this might sound maybe a little crude, and i'm i I give some apology for it, but of course, if you knew uh what I know, you would know that that, that i'm incumbent it's succumbent upon me to speak this way that outside of marriage, oral sex is sex you know um, uh, We used to talk what, what, of course when I was younger, heavy petting or or, or touching another person's body. But we've, we've left that because we've made concessions. And we've decided that intercourse is the only way that anyone has sex. So now there's a host of, of young teenagers all the way through their 20s and 30s that are engaging in these things. Because they've redefined. They've made their own concession. No challenge. No one's challenged on this. And because of that, we have a distorted view of what marriage and commitment is. Now, when you don't set the definitions correctly, what you do is, what you have in the end, you have a distortion of what, what the original meaning is. And, and I probably need to go back and preach a little bit about if you believe in starry decisis, which is the Latin term for let the decision stand. The decision of starry decisis has already been made long before you and I came to be. It's in the scripture. Now think how foreign that is, how, how uncomfortable that makes people feel, people feel. Because that in itself is the unchallenged church that's been given concessions. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for our music department. Brother Zach, Sister Lacey, they're wonderful people. They're awesome folks. I'm glad most of all that they're moral I'm glad that they're moral. I'm glad that they're married and they're moral. Because the last thing we want to do here is to have highly talented people that are immoral. Do you understand what's going on in our world? This is happening all over churches because people esteem talent more than morality. So we'll make concessions. Oh, they're, oh, they're, they're a great teacher. They're so good Yes, but they have a terrible spirit. They're hateful. They're undermining. They usurp authority. It doesn't matter how good of a teacher you are or how good of a singer you are. If you can play the guitar and you can do so well, it doesn't really matter if you have moral failure, then what translates is the spirit translates. And if we do that, if we allow them because of their talent, whatever that is, To engage in what we deem ministry, it's not ministry at all, it just, now it's just a show. See, the difference between New Life and maybe other churches, I don't, I don't want to say too much here, but the difference here is that we really, truly are spirit led. We, we grope after the spirit. Do you understand that I grope after the spirit? And the preachers and teachers, we yearn after the spirit. Man, man, remember I told you about the guy who had, he had all the whole year down of what he was going to teach every Wednesday and Sunday. And I, I said, man, that is awesome. What if you feel inspired? He said, well, I just, I just always feel inspired by what's already written. Not me. I'm praying right now. God, what do you want to tell the church Sunday? <laughs> when I leave this pulpit, it's on my mind on Sunday night when we close the doors. I'm walking away here and saying, God, I don't know how you did that. I hope you come back next Sunday. Because we're led of the Spirit. This is not a function of the flesh. This is a spiritual transaction. And, and the benefit of a spiritual transaction is that truly yoke is broke. Bondage is broke. Strongholds are crumbling. People are restored. But the problem with that is... If if our flesh goes unchallenged because we esteem somebody's talent or money or ability then we become off course and we become the uncorrected church and we have the uncorrected life. So I'll just tell you right now. You can't you can't have sex on Friday and get in the choir on Sunday. We just we just can't do you can't do that. Just If I don't know about it, just please repent right now and say, Lord, I forgive me, I'll never do that again. Praise God. If I do know about it, please sit down for a little bit. I'll catch you next year at this time. Aren't you so glad you came to Bible study? Doesn't this make you feel good inside warm? Like warm pumpkin pie a la mode? Man, I need some chili. MCL has great pumpkin pie. I haven't been there for a while. Let us see. It's untaught. It's the untaught church, the untaught life. And here, here's where we have this, and I will not venture into this entire story, but it is a sordid story and very um, edgy, to say the least. Judah is a little older, his daughter-in-law, Tamar, is a young woman who is in search of a son, but Judah did not teach his, his sons correctly, and his sons were punished by God because Judah did not teach his sons the order and the law of the Lord. We often want to know why there is a result. The result is usually because we didn't teach the law of the Lord. Now the law of the Lord is right. the Bible says it converts the soul. The commandments of the Lord are true. This is the untaught son, the untaught daughter i would I would say to everybody regardless of who's in your home or who's around you you are constantly teaching every day of your life you're teaching you may not know that you're teaching but you are always instructing your family someone even if you are not married you're teaching you're instructing someone by the way you live by the way you appear by your spirit your attitude your words you're always teaching that's right you're always molding you're always molding. And so I would just submit to you that that there there are a few things that you must learn when it comes to having the right life and that entails teaching the word of the Lord. Now I'm glad for math and sciences and chemistry and surely we need to learn Our states, our capitals, our presidents. We need to learn geography, but we need to learn the law of the Lord. What does the word of God say? Not what I think, but what does the word of the Lord say? The untaught is also growing abnormally. And finally, number letter D rather is the misled. The misled. Um, This happens quite often where the end seems to justify the means, I will tell you it never justifies the means. The end never justifies the means. It is interesting to me that Jacob is called the subplanter. Jacob is called the deceiver. Jacob is called the one who needed to change his life. When in fact, Jacob learned everything that he knew about deception from his mother. He learned it from his mom. His mother was the one who devised a wonderful plan to deceive her husband, Isaac. Now, there may be some root cause in that, I I won't shed too much light on it, but the Bible will talk about Isaac dwelled in the tents of his mother even after she died. Isaac was also a mama's boy, and Isaac showed favoritism, he had a lot of dysfunction in his childbearing years child rearing years he was favored over Ishmael and he favored his son he loved Esau he loved him. Esau had Esau knew how to hunt he knew he knew the right things to do Esau uh he was proud of Esau but he was proud of Esau in a very temporal way and the hunt made him proud he was glad when Esau brought back meat Strapped to his shoulders, he was embarrassed of Jacob because Jacob was around all of the women. He was a culinary expert. I don't know if this is true, but maybe Jacob knew how to make the bed. He knew how to pitch the tent. He knew how to, he knew how to arrange all the silverware. But, but Esau was a man's man, and in fact his arms were hairy. In fact, it was a distinction of his life. And so, of the five senses that you have to, to see, Isaac was blind. He couldn't see anything. He could smell, he could feel, he could hear. He could taste, but he couldn't see. And so, what he did was, he tasted the, the meat, the stew, the, the, the food that was prepared. Not from, not from Jacob, but from Rebekah. She misled her own son. She is now going to seek some retribution for what she feels was a failure in her marriage. She's going to use her son to do it. And Jacob is going to bring in the meat. He's going to put on some garments. And he's going to be misled. It's a very critical thing that there are, that that even today we deal with, with sons and daughters that are that are. Managing the dysfunctionality of their parents' failed marriage. Grown men and women that are living out the dysfunctional attributes of their mom and dad. I will tell you right now, you are smart enough. You have the Holy Ghost. You're filled with the Spirit. You can break every chain that has been handed down to you. All those things that are hereditary, you can break them even right now tonight. It is a choice. You can seal that choice in the altar with prayer and worship. You don't have to live the way that you were taught to live. You can live according to the scripture. It's your choice. This is a cognitive thing. It's not a break in the spirit. If it's a spiritual thing, then you have no control over it. It's your choice. I choose. I I choose to serve God. I, I choose not to live the way That maybe a grandparent lived. My father grew up on a bar stool watching my grandfather drink himself to death. My father, his earliest memories was doing his homework while my grandfather was drinking in the bar. That's where my father... My father, my grandfather was an atheist. My grandmother might have had a little influence, but she left her church years before my father ever had a choice. When my father was a teenager... He went down to the Methodist church all by himself. He joined the choir. He led the songs when he was a teenage boy. And he broke the chain and decided for himself, I will be a Christian in the home of an alcoholic and habitual chain smoker. My my grandmother died of, 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 of lung cancer from smoking herself to death. My, my grandfather drank himself to death. But my father chose. I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to break the chain. They were misleading him all the way. Their marriage wasn't very good. And my, and my, and the reason why it wasn't good is because my great grandmother died and my great grandfather married a woman who subsequently kicked my grandfather out of the house and he slept underneath a very cold, a little, a little shack, kind of a, the steps underneath some steps and he hated life and he was angry. And he brought that anger into his home. And my father grew up with an anger problem that, that came from his dad. and then. But my father made his way to church and then finally found himself in a little Pentecostal church in Whitewood Tabernacle in St. Louis. And sat in the back row with, with my mother who was a Catholic girl, a little spoiled Catholic girl who was the prom queen several years in a row. And she was the one doted over and they both sat in the back row and watched all the holy rollers speak in tongues. And they said, "We will, we will never be like that. We will never, these, these people are crazy. You think this church is crazy? They were, they were, man, they were rolling on the floor. They were shouting. My mother had done the rosary. She had gone to mass every Saturday and Sunday. She knew, she knew the Catholic Church. In fact, the reason why she was alive is because, because when, when my grandmother stopped having children, when two children were born, the priest came to my grandmother's house, said, she, he said, Annie, you, Farino, you need to have another child. And she obeyed him and had got pregnant with my mother 10 years after the, her uncle, my uncle was born so my, they, they came to church they had to break the chains I'm standing up here and tell you I am a product of someone who made a choice with their brain not to be misled any longer you put on happiness you put on a smile you decide to be friendly you want friends be friendly you want joy put on a dance it'll come sometimes you have to move before the before the feeling catches up to the motion. Oh man. I got to stop preaching here. Do we'll I have to take an offering. Allowances made in the first generation. Will become the standard of the next. And you can write underneath that. Whatever you do in moderation. The next generation will do in excess. Whatever allowances that we make. This is the this is the pathway of America right now. It's the pathway of America. We've made so many allowances that it that what we thought was the exception yesterday today has become the standard. Small things. We allowed a little rebellion, a little disrespect of of, of adults. Now, it's the standard. This is the standard. All of these things culminate in The uncorrected life. Let me just tell you that a lot of conversations need to take place in our lives and among one another, but we have a tough time having conversations, especially in the church. So I'm zeroing on that, maybe even in the family too. Here's a few reasons why we're struggling with these crucial conversations. First of all, we are not connected. We've got to get connected. You know, loose fitting connections today are the norm. Social media has given us ample room to surface to have surface knowledge, but it stripped up stripped us of intimate conversation. No one has 550 friends. Nobody has a thousand friends. You really don't have a thousand friends. I mean, you can say how many friends you have. You really you have a friend that you sit down across the table with and you see their expression. You can't even really have a good connection with someone talking to them on the phone. I like to tell jokes. They're not always good. Some of the jokes kind of fall flat. But if I'm with you, you can see my smirk, my expression. If I'm on the phone talking, I tell you a joke, I usually have to follow up the joke with, I'm just kidding. And then the person says, well, I'm really glad that you said that. I was really, that took me back a little bit. I realize the last place you want to tell a joke is on, is on Twitter. And then, you have, and then you know it's a joke, so you have to follow it up with this emoji. The just kidding emoji. I don't even know what that is. I just followed it up with a chicken and the flag from Uruguay. And then you must know that that's a joke. In fact, I just, I sit, someone sent me something and I sent them three chickens. Three chickens is very good. Four is just excellent. And whoever I sent that to, they, they sent me back and texted, Pastor, I really agree, but I have no idea really sincerely what are the chickens for. <laughs> it's because I hate, I hate the phone. That's why. It, it, that's what it is. This idea that we, that we are not connected, this is not part of the early church. The early church suffered persecution. They had all things common. They ate their bread with singleness of heart. Why? Because all they had was one another. Hear me. All you have is one another. God bless the Baptist, the Methodist, the Presbyterian. They're not coming over here to encourage us, to help us to clean the carpet. We have one another. Look around you. This is. I keep telling everyone, I'm looking at the family of God. We are the family of God. We've got to be connected. And to be connected... I didn't write all this down, but you might even put it in the margin. To be connected, there's going to have to be trustworthiness. You're going to have to trust one another. You're going to have to make sure that you don't repeat things that people say to you. You're going to have to have a lot of grace and mercy for people to be connected. You're going to have to overlook a lot of things and, and, and forgive a lot of people to be connected, to be, to be in that way. Number two, we're not invested. You have to be vested. Invested. Time is the great investment. Not money, time is what is what people want. You know how to be a good dad? Be there. You know how to be a good mom? Be there. You don't have to, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be smart. Just be there. T h e r e there. there it's time. You know how to be a good friend? Be there. Be there in crisis. Be there in joy. Be there rejoicing. Be there when there's no no bad thing happening. Be there. It's time invested. Time spent. And the reason why we don't have crucial conversations is because not only are we not connected, but we haven't spent the time that allows the door to be open. Number three, it's subjectivism. Because the reason why we can't have a conversation is because we love our individualism. We love our way. My, my way is just not your way. And, 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 you know, just because I don't do what you do doesn't make me wrong. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Stop Stop with all that individualism. It's not my way or your way. It's God's way. If we don't do what God says for us to do. Subjectivism is an affliction on American minds. And it's it's not just crept in. We've been flooded with subjectivism inside of the church. Where the Bible becomes subjective. Where people say, well, I just don't see it that way. I don't really see that I have to forgive them of that. I don't really see why I have to show grace. Well, it's not up to your feelings. It's up to the word of God. Right? Is it back to the word? Remember, it's profitable. It's profitable. This is good for me. The word is good for my life. Number four. The reason why we don't have a a crucial conversation is because we have lack of spiritual authority. We love, we can take a lot of other authority, but we have, a, we have a tough time with spiritual authority. We love spiritual authority as long as we agree with spiritual authority. But we don't like spiritual authority the moment that huh, there's a disagreement. And then we become Americans. And you know, the Bible is not, it's, it's not American Bible. No, the church is not a republic. This is a theocracy. It's a monarchy. There's a king. (laughs) Well, we'll just bypass that for a little while. I'll let you think about it, maybe. Samuel anointed Saul. Saul had victories, however. Isn't it great that Saul had victories? But success outside of Samuel caused Saul to be removed from obedience. He he thought, well, I'm successful. Why do I need to obey the prophet? I'm successful. I know what I'm doing. I can tell you tonight that worldly success, sometimes financial success, maybe even gain in education, there's so much more. All of it has removed many people from the simplicity of biblical authority. In the early uh, 30s, a renowned pastor taught against tobacco now, there was no research in tobacco everyone smoked pipes there's no research in tobacco we, we didn't know tobacco then like we knew do today and in fact it it, it it didn't even have all the other carcinogens in it but the pastor said why don't we it might have been in the 40s why don't we not smoke pipes and all of the older mothers were upset because they were the ones who usually smoked the pipes This is true. Go look it up in your history book. But through the years, because of his soundness and teaching that, it saved a lot of them and it it manifested itself in generational people who did not really get into tobacco products. But he didn't have proof of that. He didn't have scientific proof. Nor did the Bible tell him to teach against tobacco. He just thought... This seems like a worldly function and we should not do it. But of course, when you have success, well then, why do you need biblical authority? And finally, number five, correction, of course, is offensive. Let me just tell you right now, correction is very offensive. Nobody wants to be corrected. Now, I... From time to time, I have people tell me, Pastor, if you see anything that I do wrong, I want you to tell me. I want, that's a lie. Mostly that's a lie. Because when we're doing good, we make bold statements. When we're doing poorly, we hide Mm -hmm. Okay. As long as no one touches the attitude or disposition of our lives, we're okay. But the moment we get down into the heart and deal with the heart, unforgiveness, brashness, disobedience, spirits that are not of God, when we start to deal with that, see, I'm interested in having a throwdown, shouting, running, rolling on the floor, tongue talking, demons cast out, miracles. I'm interested in having a powerful miracle service in the house. I'm I'm interested in having people walk in. You know, I used to get cigarettes at the platform. I mean, at, at the altar. I don't even get, I get other stuff now. It's a lot of other stuff. It's dangerous stuff people give me. I'm interested in all those strongholds, not just being laid on the altar, but things that people actually are free of. There have been moments in this house when people, they left that night and God completely removed things from their life, completely removed it from their life. Even in the last month, several people have said, my my, my thinking has changed. Something has just changed in my whole life. I've watched this happen. I'm interested in that. But unless we get to the point where we can receive the word for what it's meant for, the profitable part, then everything is very superficial. I mean, we can dance and shout and we know how to do all that. We can get the music. We got the right songs. We got the right drum. We got the, all the stuff we can. But when we get all of that going, the difference between just a hype or a hoop And real spiritual warfare or decisions being made or someone being free. It's the anointing that does it. And it's got to have the word involved in that. Remember, God never operates outside of his written word. Because he is his written word. To defy his written word is defy himself. And God is not a man that he should lie. Know that God's not a man that he should lie. That means I can't cheat on my taxes and cast out devils. Oh, I can't post the innuendo. Remember, there's four levels. I talked to this four levels. There's the lie, that's the outward thing. There's the accusation. it can't be proven or dismissed, because it's an accusation. There's the innuendo. that's the subtle, that's what's left out it's the innuendo. And finally is truth without love. Those are the four things that will damage everyone's life. Truth without love. Paul said, but speaking the truth in love, why? Because the truth without love is a damaging thing to your life. Oh, yes, it is. You don't want everyone just to tell you the stark truth. You don't want the truth. Because it hurts you. You want truth and love. <laughs> I don't want to give you examples because I don't want to get in trouble. But I've heard, I've heard people speak truth to someone, but they didn't do it in love. So watch what this happens now. Without the word, knowing the word, everything else becomes superficial. It becomes humanistic. you got to have the word. It's profitable for us. But to be corrected is offensive. And that's why people don't want to be corrected today. But the prophets corrected the people. It's the only way. Read the book of Jeremiah. The whole book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He prays so much that we... That we know that his knees were like camel's knees. He is prophesying. He's trying to correct the people. They, they will not succumb to the correction. And there's judgment at the end of it. I, if I don't correct my children, they become spoiled. Now, people think that that's a fun word, spoiled. Spoiled? It looks cute when they're nine, when they're seven, and they're, we say, oh, they're just so spoiled. They're just so spoiled. I have a wonderful example of spoiling. Spoiling. Take meat out of the refrigerator, a fish, thaw it out, and leave it on your counter for two weeks. Go on vacation and leave the meat out. And whatever you come up with, maggots and worms and the house all smells, we didn't do this incidentally. But I have done it before. I have done it before. Where I left some, oh man. I remember I was singing, I left some meat out and I went on, I was on a trip and I went, I went preaching and then I went to do some concerts and I was singing. I came back and that one hamburger patty had turned into something. It was a horrible thing. It was a Stephen King figure that was growing off the counter and, and things were festering and growing out of that one hamburger. That spoiled. That's spoiled. And a spoiled church is the uncorrected church. It's the uncorrected life. What if I always, Rebuffed rebuff the preacher who who preached the word to me because I didn't like how it felt. Now, I'm trying to raise up a church that we would be people that would receive the word and say, Lord, check my heart. I want to be pure. Let me just cover a few things and I've got to hurry now. The attributes of, of the false rescue. This is the attributes of false rescue. It happens all the time. And in fact, the scripture gives great credence to it. Proverbs 19, 19. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. For if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. So, maybe I can just unpack that for you a little bit. If he loses his temper, there ought to be a consequence for it. But if you remove the consequence... He's just going to go right back to it again. Right? Oh, nope. Ask your grandchildren, your children. Oh, you know. Now listen, it's okay. I'm okay. When, when A few years back now when Nico backed the van into the neighbor's house and caused $25,000 worth of damage. And it was $15,000 to her house and $8,000 for the van. And folded the It folded the hatch in itself and... He got out of the car, the van, and Tammy hugged him. She was so glad he was okay. But he was pinching himself and saying, Tell me it's a dream. Tell me it's a dream. I said, Go to the corner right now. I was glad he was okay. He had to go to the corner. He's crying. And of course, he had saved up $243 from two Christmases, birthdays, all the stuff. He had done some work for couple of his aunts. He'd gotten some money. He had $243. The deductible was $500. That was wiped out. That was just wiped out. You're not going to get anything. You probably won't even go with us to Disney. You're just going to stay home all by yourself now. No, I didn't say that. You're going to get a spanking and you're going to have a punishment. Or I could have been like this man who delivered him. Oh, don't worry about it now. It's okay. You disobeyed mom, but it's all right. It's her fault. Because she didn't get out to stop you in time. Uh And then now we have a generation of people. I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about adults. Instead of taking responsibility for our lives, we want to be delivered. Except we go right back to the same problem that we were in before. So... This is the attributes of the uncorrected or the false rescue. It's not a real rescue at all. Four attributes. It's born out of a distorted definition of love. Love, ladies and gentlemen, is not something that attains to an agreeable position. Love is often a correcting voice. But the false rescue thinks, I love them too much. I will tell you, you can love them right into a world of mess. Hear me, fathers, dads, come to church. Put away the video games in your home. Come to church, because it's not all about you. The moment you had that baby in your home, grandfathers, the moment you had that child, it stopped being about you. Who knows this is true? Come on, dads, who knows this is true? It's not about you. It's about those children. You come to church. Whether you feel like it or not. Whether you want to or not. You come to church. You're instant. Oh, man. Okay. I think I'm just going to play this whole video on Sunday. And I'll just have a pointer. This is a good part. This is a good part. Letter B. Fear failure. We don't want our kids. We don't want each other to fail. Even our neighbors, our friends, our, our brothers, our sisters. Fear of failure. Well, I just don't want them to fail. They're just not that teacher is not very good that instructor. It's that teacher's fault feel failure. We have a fear fear that other people will fail. Sometimes failure can be your best friend. There's a friend called failure You can look it up in the archives Let her see short-sightedness. You're thinking about the here and now I'm not thinking about the here and now I'm thinking about the future If I was thinking about the here and now we wouldn't be building these buildings and planning for the future I'm probably building something, and you're building something right now with our buildings that we really won't use. If God tarries, someone else will use it. We can't be short-sighted in our relationships. I'm not just reading the scripture just because I need to read that scripture again. I'm reading because there's a future situation that I'm going to deal with. I can't tell you how many times I've gone back to the Word and said, I just read that in the scripture. Number our letter d self preservation you see this is the personal pride of mismanagement i 'm wondering sometimes if some of our church services just need to fall flat i don 't want to rescue them i've had to i 've had to, had to ask God to forgive me Years ago, we were in the north campus and and uh, and service was going very poorly and And it wasn't good, and I felt like I needed to help the Lord. We weren't weren't doing what we were supposed to do, and I tried to help the Lord, and we got through it, but I realized we really needed just to stop that service and just pray. We probably should have just stopped it and prayed, because I kind of made a mess of it. Thank God most of you probably forgot, but I didn't forget. You know, they're transporting the Ark of the Covenant. Yuza pushes forth his hands. He stops and steadies the Ark. There's a reason for that because to thresh wheat they would thresh wheat on a high place where the stony or flat rocks were they would take the wheat and they would take it in sheaves and they would throw it on the ground and then they would train their oxen to stop stop on the wheat they would they would bring the oxen there and they learned how to stop in place and if you if you look in the bible the place where that that cart started to shake they were on top of a threshing floor those oxen stopped and they stomped because that's where they were trained to do. There was no wheat, but they were going through the motions of what they always did on the threshing floor. And when they did that, that cart shook and the ark was about to come off the cart. But you see, Adonijah had not trained his sons. He had not correct them. And so they'd always been accustomed to the Ark of the Covenant. For 20 years, the ark was at Adonijah's house. And so Uzzah, the son, he just, he just stuck his hand up there and said, I'll just take care of this thing. He should have let it fall. But he thought I can intervene on God's behalf. Have you ever tried to help God? I'm gonna tell you right now. He don't need your help. I've told this story many times, but I was in Wisconsin at Brother Hooks' church, and there was a whole row of new converts, and this guy in the second row had an oxygen mask and a big tank. And I was closing the service and he started coughing. I went down and I put my hand on him. And I stood there and prayed for him. And then he stopped coughing. Everyone started. I, I closed the service out. This row of new converts started to come down. And I don't know how long I'd been there praying for that guy with the oxygen tank. And he, he didn't cough the whole time I stood there. And I looked down and I realized I was standing on top of his oxygen tube. I think he was alive when he left. I'm not sure they did wheel him out. I'm praying that maybe he would rise from the dead. I might have killed him, I'm not sure. But I want to tell you right now God does not need your help. He doesn't need your help. He needs your obedience. It's okay if some things fall down and make the mistake. Hear me. If your children make a terrible mistake, don't try to cover it up. Just let it be what it is. You can't fix every situation. It's all right. We're going to be connected. We're going to be invested. We're going to have grace and mercy and love. We're going to say, thank God. I want to tell you what. Thank God, brother and sister Huddeger has grace and mercy on me. When I checked on brother Huddiger, he said, thank you for calling pastor. It just, it just got me again. It gets me every time because brother Huddeger was my dad's assistant pastor. And he was my, he was my high school teacher and sister Huddeger taught me how to type Thank God they didn't hold all of my errors and mistakes against me. They're call how is, how is it that they call me pastor in typing class? Me and my buddy Larry, who's a radiation oncologist, you saw him. He's a doctor. He lives in Michigan. We we took the we took a cord, a vacuum cleaner cord, and tied her up to her seat and left and went and played basketball. And, and finally, it might have been an hour or so later, someone came in and untied her. That was a great day and she <laughs> and she, and they call me past if you watch people are going to make a mistake and I'm, I'm asking this question tonight we have to have correction we have to have instruction but can people make a mistake here and do dumb things ignorant things and still survive a new life now, no, you might not be on the platform for a while. You may not be in your post, but you can make it and we'll bring you out and restore you again. That's right. So these are, you know, sometimes you think you rescued someone. It was not a real rescue. Let me just cover now this last portion. I cover the benefits of spiritual correction because there are beautiful benefits in this, in this portion of our lesson. The first benefit of spiritual correction is just it, it don't think it too elementary, please don't think it too elementary because the first benefit is the knowledge it's knowledge of the basic you'll have knowledge of the basic i don't think it it's not it's not news to anyone, but when you when you don't have knowledge of the basic, then you measure things incorrectly. A one-foot ruler is not 11 inches. That's less than. Nor is it 13 inches. That's more than. The standard of the measurement has already been defined. Standard of the measurement has already been defined. Not to have knowledge of the basic sets everything off. You'll never learn trigonometry until you learn basic mathematics of addition and subtraction. In fact, everything from, from the inception of that foundation grows. just the basic. And spiritual correction gives us the power of the understanding to, to grasp spiritual definitions, godly definitions and even lifestyle. This is the knowledge of the basic standard. Deuteronomy 12, 32. And and Revelation says basically the same thing. See that you do all I command you. Do not add to it or take away from it. The book of Revelation gives actually a curse. And a blessing if it's done. Number two. There's a future blessing To be corrected, to be put on course as a future blessing. Brother Mooney and Brother Stark, both I'm sat under the ministry as both pastors. They they both corrected my life. And because of it was a future blessing. My parents, my, mom, my mother and father, have they've set me on course and there's been future blessings from it. I've had other spiritual people in my life or friendly, godly, wonderful men and women and there's future blessings one of the things that we're dealing with today is this need for instant gratification and that's the reason why is because we are a hedonistic society we want everything now we are a paper cup throwaway drive through right now we need it right now um, I'm I'm trying to live this out of my life and I'm trying to teach it to my own children and then to everyone that I come in contact with. If you are faithful for one year, if you're faithful for one year, if you never miss church except when you're sick and you're on vacation or you're working, if you're faithful and you find yourself in that same place and you praise God and you worship God, if you're faithful in your giving, your tithing, your faithfulness, your attendance, your serving, One year from now, you won't be the same person you are today. And two years from now, you won't recognize yourself. And ten years from now, you'll have grown so much that you'll be able to face obstacles and situations, storms that would have crippled you today. I'm, I'm going for the long game, not the short game. That's why we talk about generational church. That's why Sunday I'm talking about raising up children. I'm talking about 500 children. I'm talking about raising up another generation of apostolic Pentecostals that love God, that know how to lay hands on people. I'm, the long game is much longer than I'm alive. The long game is because I'm planning on the Lord coming back today, but I'm I'm sorry, I'm living like the Lord's coming back today, but I'm planning, I'm preparing like He's coming back in a hundred years. So this idea that we want blessings now, they don't always come when you think they should come. So when you're giving in your tithe and your offerings, you say, Well, Lord, now you said, well, it might not make it's it's it may not come to fruition all in one day. In fact, it might take a long time. Just listen to Pastor when I tell you this. If you'll invest your life in this house. In time, you'll reap bountiful blessings. And if you will accept correction in your life, there'll be bountiful blessings in the future. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, Hebrew says, but but painful at the time. Right? It, it seems painful. Later, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Can you imagine the Bible speaks to it? And finally, the foundation of holiness you see the benefits of spiritual correction is that it establishes the foundation of holiness as obedient children not fashion yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance but as he which hath called you is holy so be holy in all manner of conversation and, and if you're writing in the margins holiness or to be holy just simply means to be set apart I'm set apart correction sets me apart I'm not now now I've not been falsely rescued I've I've had to face my own life my own spirit and, and if I'm going to be holy, I've got to have someone to p- correct me, put me on the right path of correction. This last part, I'm, I'm pulling from Proverbs chapter 9, and these four verses are critical for our understanding. I'm just going to go through them quickly. But there are two possibilities based upon the individual. Before I get to that, I just want to say to all of the pastor's kids that are here, if your father is or was a pastor, your father, your grandfather, there's uncles, we have a slew of people who have have family members that are pastors. You can be the greatest asset this church has ever known. Or you could be the worst liability that any church could ever face. Because I got a few folks here. I'll I'll, I'll point them out here just just right now. Jack Eggers is here. Jack never really knew the Lord until he came to new life. And then the Lord did something. I am his only pastor. He has nowhere else to go. I, I was in correction about 12 years ago with a pastor's child. Of course, it's a man. And they, they thought about it, and then a few weeks later came back and said, you know, I know what you said, but I'll tell you what. Um, my dad told me something different. So it's the end round. I'm really not the last stop. So there's no spiritual correction here, because there's another spiritual authority, you see. And so if they didn't like my advice, they go to another spiritual. This happened also, this happened many times. I mean, an uncle who is a pastor of, you know, A grandfather, some cousin is a pastor, is a a minister. And so instead of having a final stop. But for Jack, he ain't got nobody in his family. It's just me. Here's the beautiful part. If I'm wrong and he obeys it, God blesses him and deals with me. Let's do that again. If I'm wrong and he obeys it, God blesses him, protects him. Surrounds him, insulates him, and then God deals with me, and I don't want God to deal with me. He has, and I'm tired of that. How are we doing now with this? See, because I never know who you are until you respond. Now, I wish I could, sometimes I've got the spirit of discernment, sometimes, sometimes I have it, but most of the time I don't. Most of the time I'm kind of gullible. I just, I, I've got this crazy notion. My mother told me, everybody loves you. She said it. Every, Jeffrey, everybody loves you. I came to New Life 19 years ago, and I thought, everybody loves me. I was shocked. There was a few people I thought, what's wrong with those people? They need to go talk to my mother. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. How in the world did that happen? If you correct a scoffer, you get dishonor for yourself. You just never know. He who reproves a wicked man will get insults for himself. So don't reprove a scoffer. He'll hate you. Reprove a wise man. He'll love you. I'm just asking you, who are you? Which one are you? Now, don't be afraid. I'm not, I'm not setting anybody up tonight for a correction. Everybody's doing great, as far as I know. Of course, I'm not on Facebook, so I don't, I don't really know. I'm not the sheriff of Nottingham trying to find out what you've done wrong. I'm just preaching the word and praying for people and baptizing them, and pe- more people getting the Holy Ghost, people getting baptized. I'm so grateful for that. It's awesome. During the week, we had, I think we had five or eight people get baptized between a Sunday morning and a Tuesday evening. Just a phenomenal thing. And someone's coming to get baptized this Sunday. I'm so excited about it. The question is, who are you? Which one are you? This is, now remember, we're living in an era where, where authority is suspect and the Bible is specifically suspect. And where are we at now? Reprove, is that where we are? Reprove a wise man He'll love you. Give instruction to a wise man. He'll be still wiser. Now this is an interesting thought. Because I'm concerned about everybody in the church. But I really would love to invest myself in people who have a hunger to be wise. I've been praying for people. I'm praying for a harvest that want to serve God. That's a specific prayer. I'm praying for people who want to come to church, just don't know where to go. Now, I, I, I we'll take anybody. We'll work with anybody. But I'm I'm really praying. God, would you just give me someone who wants to be saved, not someone who just wants to come and not really be involved and not really be saved because they don't really love God. They're just kind of checking it out. See who's going to go to real hacienda after church, or think maybe this is the dating site. You know. Or whatever. Trying to find somebody. Or find community. This is bigger than that. This is. This is the bride of Christ. We're, we're trying to get to heaven. We're trying to make it to heaven. So, so I'm, tr- I'm looking for people who, who are wise and want to be wiser still. Teach a righteous man. He'll increase his learning. And then it culminates with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the starting point. The fear of the Lord. I hope you don't lose your trembling. Your fear of God. Before I make a decision. I'm, I'm praying Lord. Let it be the right decision. This is what's required of me. To walk humbly. Read the scripture. To walk humbly. Love mercy. Before my God. It's required of me to be a good steward. It's required of me. This is the scripture. What's required of me? My, my requirements are between me and God. Even David said when he sinned. He didn't say Boy, I've sinned against my family. And, and I've sinned against my wife. He said I've sinned against thee. And the only have I sinned. And I often tell folks. We've got to put our relationship back with God. And if we can get that correct. Then our relationship with one another will be correct. But if we think well listen. It doesn't matter if I offend that person. Or if I'm hateful. Or, or whatever sin As long as I'm right with God. You can't be right with God. See, you look, you lost the fear of God because you didn't know the word of God. And we got to get back to the word of God. That's why we're promoting memorizing the word and reading the word every day. It's profitable for your life. It's profitable. Stop eating kale. What are you doing eating kale? They don't even have enough. Spinach has 10 times more vitamin C than kale. Go read the history on kale. It's kind of nasty, it's got sharp edges, not even that good, it's just, it's culturally cachet. People just, we just got to go get some kale, what are you talking about kale salad? Get the spinach salad, it's much better, it'll give you more nutrients. Kale costs you more and you get less for it. What's profitable, you're all trying to find what's profitable, this is going to make me feel good. You got the lotions, you got the kale, you got all the stuff people are buying. Dear Lord, I just saw another pink Cadillac driving down the road are they still selling that stuff they must be it's a brand-new 2018 pink Cadillac because people think it's profitable I don't know if it's profitable for everybody but whoever was driving in that car it was not profitable. well I shouldn't have said that It wasn't working for her but but maybe for somebody else I don't know it's what is profitable for you You want something. The Bible is profitable for you. It it helps you. It gives you nourishment. When you read your bulletin on Sunday, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm saying tonight, the Word of God needs to take preeminence over every other piece of literature or input because it's profitable. But in the profit, sometimes to be profitable, sometimes it has to correct you. Has to cut you. Have to do an operation. The word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any edge, two-edged sword, piercing even to the divine center of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It cuts right down into the heart. I want the word in my heart. I want it begins with the fear of the Lord. I got to fear God enough to live according to the word of God, and finally, the knowledge of the Holy One. The Bible says is understanding. Amen. And everybody said amen.